Welcome to another episode of Friends in Wonder, a place where we invite you to explore meaningful topics without judgment or limits. Brought to you by two lifelong friends sharing their insights. I'm Joe Luther. And I'm Vince Kern. And we've got great topics lined up for you each week. So be sure to subscribe, like, and even share with your friends. In last week's episode, sharing recent developments in AI and its possible contributions to the world, we wondered where it's taking us and tagged it as an octopus with a million tentacles. In our post-production review, we began wondering about how much has changed in the way we personally seek and consume information across media platforms we use, and how great the divide seems to have become over the main components of our American culture. In this episode, we'll share some of those topical tentacles from last week's episode and talk about how and why we decided to examine our personal bias and work on developing our own humility to develop a more open and hopefully unifying outlook to create positive ripples. In doing so, we laid the question bare on the table. Are we in the middle of a battle for our minds? And if yes, what can we personally do to be sure we don't pollute our thinking, energy, and relationships by promoting bias and division, even if it's unintentional? Right. And what we found in our research And even some of our personal anecdotal stories is uh, there's a lot of interesting things to consider that really point the opportunity back at us to empower us so that we can help answer that question and really see that we have the tools in our own hands. So I'm really excited to talk about this today. Yeah, what's that? Um, what's that motto we talked about? Is the best outcome for the uh, ripple effect of this podcast? Well, yeah, today it's really all about united we stand, divided we fall. Yeah, and what we found when we examined our own information consumption habits is that it was like looking across the divide and seeing ourselves, and we realized that there's some new subtle ways in which our own personal bias leads us to decide what information we seek, consume, and allow into our brain. Yeah, and I and I think what we need to do to start this conversation, though, is let's start back with this concept of united we stand, divided we fall, which really, when we looked into that, uh, we found that that was originally attributed to Aesop from 620 BC. And what we found was so interesting about that is, you know, today everybody thinks, oh, we've never been more divided than we are now. But look at that. This is back in ancient Greece and Aesop coined the phrase. So it got us thinking, you know, are we really as divided as we think we are? And I was even wondering further, is it just an excuse or a cop-out sometimes to put blame somewhere else than to look at self? And so we we thought we'd look at this idea a little closer, like, are we really as divided as we've ever been, or are we more divided than we've ever been? And obviously, we we can talk about ancient American history, and we'll see going back to the Civil War and slavery or uh, women's suffrage in the, you know, in the early 1900s and, or more recently civil rights or, or even the protests against uh, Vietnam in the sixties. And now today we've got, we've got so many things to be um, embattled about. Um, Abortion has been going on for forever, 
But is it really any more than it was in the past? You know, you go back to McCarthyism in the 50s, and, and then we found a really interesting study. In fact, going to the 1950s, we found that um, there's research done to, to, to kind of look at this question, and, and it found that in the 1950s, more than or approximately 70% of all people questioned said that they wouldn't want their child to marry somebody from a different political party. That's in the 1950s, over 70%. Guess what? Today, the exact same percentage or within a half a percent. So really, are we that different? Those two things, ASAP from 620 and this particular stat that you just referenced really kind of blew me away when we were researching this. And I think they're great points. And maybe in the 50s, family structure was different and it was so much easier to compartmentalize or escape the divisiveness. If you think about uh, a marriage age daughter, let's just say 20 years old or 18 years old, back then there was no internet there was no social media there wasn't there were no tools where they could just sort of hide away and you know look at how habituated we are to those tools and how much time people spend with them so that parental authority probably isn't quite the same today as it was back then you got to do what i say and and so forth and the other thing that that this brings up to me is that i hear the media telling us that there's a division and that we're more divided than ever all the time. And isn't that a great tool to hook their intended audience, whether it's on the right or the left, you know, it's a tool, right? And, uh, you know, the other thing that I think is different between now and the the fifties is incivility has risen to a level that to me is unheard of. I mean, when you look at the, the hate speech on Twitter, and it doesn't matter which political side you're on or what uh, what you're protesting. It's really gotten out of hand. So, you know, everything's getting retweeted and it's all coming into your feed. And, uh, you know, it just feels like adults are the ones that are engaging in more hate and incivility these days in some ways than, uh, you know, than the kids are. So if this is the case, I think we got to ask the question. Are we falling in the united we stand, divided we fall equation? Well, right. I guess that's the question. If the if the axiom is true, united we stand, divided we fall. And if we are divided, does that mean we're falling? And and that's what got us wondering. And and as it relates to artificial intelligence and this war for our minds or or this information war that we may be in, it got us thinking, are we really in an information war? Yeah. And you know, some of our favorite philosophers will remind us that the purpose of war is to eliminate the other side, right? So, I mean, it's what the outcome should be, you know, should the outcome be unity or should it be elimination? Um, And, you know, maybe to to ease it in tone a bit, I, I, you know, ask the question, has the internet and the birth of social media and the creation of this 24-7 cycle of news and our personal consumption, because we're doom scrolling into the middle of the night, is that what the battle of our brains is all about? Right. And we're not pushing an agenda here. We are not talking about any kind of like, quote unquote, conspiracy theories here. What we're talking about is what is really going on. Obviously, as we discussed last week, there's lots of money being invested 
in information technology and artificial intelligence. So it got us wondering more about all right, what's our involvement in this and what can we do? Yeah, you know, we're as guilty as everybody else with this, you know, when you, that's what we found. And right. And, and then and then what was really kind of the aha moment for me was a couple of weeks ago, I went to buy a book and you were with me. We were up north and we went into this bookstore and as I was going in, I was kind of thinking to myself, I had these like preconceived ideas of what's going to happen before I go in this bookstore. First of all, is there going to be, you know, a table out there where the owner of the bookstore is pushing, you know, whatever agenda the owner has. And I was just, I just kind of had this like defensive feeling before I went in, like, oh, what am I going to be exposing myself to? But I went in and I was open-minded and started flipping through books. And I ended up finding a book that I've I absolutely love. And I'm not, not even going to tell you what the book is, but I love the book and it opened my mind in ways that I never would have imagined. And the reason I found that book is because I went in and kind of went into waters that I'm not normally, um, that I wouldn't put myself in on my own. And that got me thinking, well, what's my habit? What are my own personal habits? And what are what's my own personal involvement in kind of closing my mind down? Because had I gone on Amazon or, or the internet to find a book, I probably would have gone to very comfortable categories that I'm used to and not open my mind up to something bigger. Categories that are more towards the bias that you're, you know, looking at. Yeah, personal bias, personal bias. And, and what we, I think what we really want to talk about here is how much does this happen to all of us? How much do we find ourselves thinking that we know best how to consume data and information? Yeah. And, um, hey, uh, I, I haven't got the, the book title out of Joe's uh, head either yet, but I promise I will. And for twenty nine ninety five, if you uh, want, I will send you that book. We'll save that for another podcast. I'll put, but- I'll put it in the show notes. It is a great book. <laughs> One of the other things, and Joe re- Joe referred to some research earlier, and it's it's interesting how how research about uh, human behavior can really inform us across our whole span of life. And uh, we found something that maybe you're familiar with, maybe you're not. We, I wasn't. It's called the Dunning-Kruger effect. Let me just describe it. It says the Dunning-Kruger effect is a cognitive bias in which people wrongly overestimate their knowledge or ability in a specific area. This tends to occur because a lack of self-awareness presents them from accurately assessing their own skills now prevents them from accurately assessing their own skill exactly exactly i love this and you know if if we started talking about examples and you know look we can do that in our media consumption probably pretty easily but let me give you one of my own that's a non-media example and this is you can apply this to your own life but joe knows i'm not the best driver in the world i tend to pass exits and do things. And so um, stop at green lights. Yeah. And that's in a car. And uh, um, it was about six years ago, I bought my first boat because we had moved to an area that was near a lake. Now it's a pontoon boat and it was at a dock and I had really never driven one before. So the first time my lovely wife, Sheila and I went out, it was an early spring day. It was kind of raining and I had a little bit of uh, anxiety about 
how to dock this thing and get it out. But the first time out, it went swimmingly. It was like I'd been driving a boat all my life and, and uh, it was great. We got off the boat and I was like, oh, this is really great. The second time we went out, uh, there was a friend with us and I backed away from the dock hit the engagement tool and ran right into a ladder slide that was at the end of the dock and wound up putting the boat at a 90 degree angle with one of our friends at the top of the rail who fell into the 14 feet deep water, fully clothed and had to have somebody help us get the boat off of the. So your one, your one successful voyage as an admiral got you believing that you got this. Absolutely. (laughs) That's the Dunning Kruger effect. No, (laughs) no. And we, and look at, we all we could all give examples of how, where we overestimate. But what's interesting is how pervasive this issue is. And you know, certainly, I described it in my own book buying experience that I know better how to find information. But you know, let's dig into it a little bit deeper because what we found is there's a 2013 study that asked people who identified with political parties to rate their knowledge of various social policies, and the result showed that while people expressed confidence in their own political expertise, their explanations of specific policies and ideas suggested their knowledge and understanding were limited. And this is the Dunning-Kruger effect, you know, right there, you know, that's, that's, yeah, it's like people and how many do we know like that? We're all like that. I mean, Mm -hmm. you know, what's I think is funny about the Dunning-Kruger effect when we first talked about it, I said, oh yeah, isn't that true? All these other people overestimate, not me, not me. (laughs) Right, right. Exactly. What's that old saying? When you point your finger at somebody else, there's two pointing back at you. Yeah. Or three or or three or four. Well, here's another one pointing back at ourselves. Um, In 2017, there was a study that noted People who analyze the least and could most benefit from questioning their beliefs also tend to have the most confidence that they're right. This is one reason political debate often seems futile, said the author, and this can lead to a narrow-minded view of the world and a rejection of alternative viewpoints. Now, how often do we see that in the Twitter feed? Yeah, right. Exactly. The Twitter feed, you know, that it's, it's so sad that people are so addicted to the dopamine of being liked so that they find themselves wanting to just retweet something that everybody else is going to put a thumbs up and, 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 and really surrounding yourself with people that, you know, are going to, you know, continue that loop, but it's not mine. It's not about being open-minded. It's about just all this kind of like-minded group think, you know, I got to tell you, Joe, um, I was probably one of the first, I don't know, several thousand users of Twitter. And part of my media job in R and D was to look at Twitter and, you know, for the first few years, I was, man, I was putting out, you know, my bias and retweeting my bias and biasing my bias. And finally I got to a point where I was like, what the heck am I doing? And who gave me this soapbox in the first place? (laughs) (laughs) Right. Exactly. I think we got another study here, right? Yeah. And this one's great too. In 2018, uh, and these are all studies related to the Dunning-Kruger effect. In, In 2018, an article further argues that people with low levels of political expertise, so lower levels of political expertise are also more likely to align themselves with a political party. So this increases their political confidence and sense of political identity. 
However, it effectively allows that party to make the decisions for them. So you have lesser um, knowledge about something. You align with a party and you let the party do the thinking for you. And I guess that is something that we see commonly too. And it, it kind of drives the point home that there's so much that we do ourselves personally that really contributes to this divisiveness that we're talking about today especially if we're not aware of it. I mean, I guess one of the things we're talking about is how, again, how can we take personal responsibility to understand our own biases and and not put them out there so much? You know, let's make the 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 tsunami wave of bias into a, a little ripple, at, at, you know, or, or see if we can get rid of it. But here's the thing, this particular one, this could lead to, this is where false information. I don't care if you're on the left or the right or the middle or what party you belong to. But if you listen to the extreme and just, you know, simply just retweet what they're saying, the talking points, you know, a lot of times it is misinformation. Right. Well, you don't even know what kind of information it is. You're just seeing it, taking it and, and regurgitating it without really thinking yourself. And there's so much of that going on right now. And I think the Dunning-Kruger effect really exemplifies the fact that we are all guilty of thinking we have more knowledge in policy, politics, uh, all of those things than we actually do. So when we watch the newscast or look at a tweet, you know, I, I finally kind of learned to ask the question about it. Is this something that is, you know, strictly pure bias? Is it thoughtful. And I, like I said, I'm raising my hand. I, I'm as guilty as everybody else with my personal bias, but that doesn't mean I'm going to always share them. And kind of got us wondering about something else, which is all of this a battle for our mind. I mean, if we're honest about the bias around us and the bias that we see, you've got to take personal responsibility with, and here's the key word for today, humility. I mean, the ability to say, yeah, I've got it. I've got that bias. I know it's there and I'm going to do something about it. Right. If you don't want to be guilty of, of being part of the Dunning-Kruger effect of, of believing that you know more or you know best, um, the opposite of that is going to be humility. And I think that's really instructive today. And I know it's something that I'm trying to do personally. And I, I certainly was awakened to that in my book buying experience. And now I'm trying to think a little bit more without bias. And you, you actually did something about it to help yourself. So as part of our preparation for, for this episode, I was thinking, okay, what's the best way to talk about uh, kind of politically charged topics with people without really taking a side? Because you and I don't want this to be about taking a side, about being part of the polarization. And so what's the best way to have a conversation? Because I don't think it's right to just say, well, I'm not going to engage or, or this is too divisive. So I withdraw. I mean, yeah, I guess if you don't want to be involved in that, that's good. But what I was, what, this is something I've been thinking about for, for really a few years. And that's kind of a fantasy of going to a party where you know there are people with differing views than you and having a conversation in a way that isn't all of a sudden finger pointing, oh, you're a conspiracy theorist or you don't think critically, you know, whatever it is and going back and forth at each other. And I thought, well, the best way maybe to do that is to always start 
from a place of truth. And I know that sounds kind of corny, but what I did is I sat down and started writing down this. At first I called it a, a manifesto because I didn't really know what I was doing, but I just made these bullet points of things that I know nobody can argue with. And I, in that first group of bullet points, I called, you know, facts that nobody really disputes. And I don't know. I mean, maybe we should give a few examples of this, Vince. We, yeah. Well, I've got a few freebies for our listeners and um, for $29.95, I'll sell you the whole thing. <laughs> I won't be able to do that though, because Joe's actually already copied. No, because because what I did, what Vince and I did is after I after I wrote this kind of manifesto, we looked at it and uh and we stopped calling it a manifesto because that has you know interesting connotations. We now call it a credo. Yeah, and really what it is 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 we want to use it as a lens because they're kind of a way to reflect back when you're talking about something. Are you coming from a place of not knowing or a place of opinion, or are you coming from a place of fact? Well, let me give uh, some of these freebies to our listener. This is the starting point. So there's there's the things that are not necessarily in dispute. And then there's some things that, uh, what were your other categories in that credo, Joe? You had like three categories. Yeah. There's, there's things that, that nobody would disagree with. You know, I think one of them is like that all corporations um, have profit as their primary motive, you know, right. Nobody's going to disagree with that. And then, then there's like the lesser known ones, but nobody would really disagree with. So, you know, they might be a little bit more esoteric talking about government agencies and stuff like that. And then, and then we got down to human behavior. Similarly, you know, nobody really disagrees with, but there might be some people because it is a little gray area. But again, all of this stuff is really non-disputed if you look at it on its own bullet point by bullet point. It's when you start bringing them together that people think you're making crazy arguments. So here's a few things that we think people really would all agree with. The primary objective of corporations is to maximize profits. The news media corporations, are for-profit organizations. Social media platforms want you to stay on their platform as long as possible. The pharmaceutical corporations are for-profit organizations. Information technologies are for-profit organizations, the companies that is, and money can influence politicians, government policies, and certainly even business. So if you start from those premises and start boiling down some of the other things, uh, it starts to give you that lens. Yeah. Yeah. And I, and I don't think we really want to get into this, into this, you know, credo any deeper than that, other than to say, we're probably going to use it in future episodes because it's a way of, of kind of checking yourself. Are you, are you just spewing noise or are you speaking from a place of fact? Let's go a step further and say, is it a given that divisiveness is used by the media and politicians for their advantage? I mean, is that a given or not? Some mm-hmm. people would say it's a conspiracy theory, but I don't I, look at if you know that they're profitable, if we know that they want you to stay on their platform as long as possible and divisiveness can help make that happen. Then is it a stretch to say that the social media is using divisiveness you know, to manipulate our minds like we were talking about in this war of information? Yeah, let me just tag on to that a little bit, because one of the things I found is that even though I was in the media business for about 30 years, my consumption habits really aren't that much, how do I say this? I don't want to say different, but they were ingrained at a young age, and I haven't really stopped and taken a look at them 
throughout that time. And now I am. Right. It's very, it's easy to get into a habit or a rut, I would say. The goal is to try and mitigate the impact of the Dunning-Kruger effect on, you know, the political and media bias that we have. Right. And this whole idea of if we're in an information war and if, 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 Artificial intelligence and and the high tech uh, companies out there and all this data collection that's going on out there is all part of uh, an effort to win our minds, which they say it is right. Um, This information war is really a war for the, the mind of the consumer. Well, then the good news is. We've got something to say about that, right? Because it's our mind. And if right. we can see our own part, if we can see our own part in our ability to be manipulated and, and to stop that and really not be part of the problem, then we have a chance, right? And it comes back to, like you said, Vince, humility. Humility. And really stepping back from it all. You know, there used to be a time where I would turn everything off for the weekend, except for the emails, because I ran a 24-7 operation. But no news, no Twitter, no Facebook, no internet other than that. And on Monday morning, I felt a hell of a lot better. Now, that's taking action of personal responsibility. And I guess the humility part of that was knowing that if I spent my weekend uh, doom scrolling and, and, and reinforcing my own bias... What, what kind of time was I given to my wife, my, my energies, my, my lovely cat, uh, you know, all of the, the things that we really want to love and enjoy and have in our life instead of this constant fear about, oh, the, the, what the Democrats are doing this and the Republicans are doing that. And this extreme person just said this, blah, 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 blah. Good Lord. Right. And, you know, we can have probably other podcast episodes that talk about, you know, how this works in the in the setting of politics, how this works, you know, more deeply in, in the way we use social media. But today we just wanted to really talk about our own personal biases and, and shine a light on, you know, anecdotally our, ourselves and how how we tend to overestimate our ability to understand and do things. And to talk about this idea that it really happens, it's so much of a phenomenon that there's there's a an effect, right? The Dunning-Kruger effect. And so we, we're all guilty of it to some degree. And so the good news is we can do something about it. Yep. And one thing we'd like to just uh, recommend people do after listening to this podcast is take a look at the Dunning-Kruger effect. Google it. Read a little bit about it and then reflect. Yeah. Do, so, do it with humility. Yeah. You know, hey, like we said, we are just as guilty as everybody else, but we're happy to talk about it. We're happy to share it with you. And, you know, we'd love to hear your thoughts on this issue as well. And you can reach us at talk at friendsinwonder.com. And what's our webpage, Joe? I don't know. I think it's (laughs) friendsinwonder.com. Thanks for listening. Have a great week. We'll see you next time.